Welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, business coach, and CEO of Weave Your Bliss, a company with the goal to help a million spirit-led entrepreneurs build a cosmic business around their genius so that they can earn wildly well and bankroll the change they want to see in the world. A cosmic business is a new paradigm business that believes in collaboration over competition, building a business around your unique genius, aligning to the planets and your intuition, leading with your values, putting your health and the health of the planet first, treating people fairly and building giving into your business model. Sounds fabulous, right? On this show, I will take you behind the scenes of my thriving multi-six-figure business, including strategy on closing more sales, nurturing your community online, plus astrological insights to optimize your business and life. We'll also feature conversations with spirit-led business owners, creatives, and change makers to inspire you. I'm coming to you from our regenerative farm in rural Maine, my happy place, where we are currently creating space to welcome community for retreat and earth reconnection. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello, my friends. Today's episode features my interview with Dr. Shubham Kulkarni, the Raga singing Ayurvedic doctor. So you won't want to miss this conversation which includes topics like how to develop trust in your ideas, even when they're innovative and people may not understand them, what a raga is in both Ayurveda and music, and how ragas heal. And we talk about dharma, how it helps you move forward with more ease. And I think you'll just find Dr. Kulkarni's story interesting. Before I go into the interview, I want to invite you cordially to join my year-long high-support cosmic business mastermind, which begins in March, where you'll get my personalized support. You'll get my eyes on your content and copy. You'll get one-on-one strategic and astrology support so you can stay in your zone of genius for longer. You'll get hands-on support with refining your message so that you are attracting those ideal clients with more ease. This program has all of my tools to help you refine your niche, create winning offers, market with more ease, know your numbers and create a pathway to your financial success and so much more. You can go to weaveyourbliss.com and click the Cosmic Business Lab at the top bar and scroll down to the bottom of that page where you'll get more information about the mastermind, which is an upgrade to that program. Or you can go to the link in the show notes to learn more. You can also book a call with me and we will look at your birth chart together and your business and see if this is a fit. The program is limited to 20 people. And then this is the only way to work with me one-on-one this year in your business. I'm really curating an awesome powerhouse group of spirit-led entrepreneurs. So I hope you will join me and be among them. Without further ado today, we're speaking with Shubham Kulkarni. As I said, Dr. Shubham Kulkarni is a practicing Ayurvedic doctor and music therapist based in Pune and Mumbai, India. And he is working in both renowned palliative hospice care centers and his own private practice. In addition to his medical studies, Dr. Kulkarni holds master's degrees in palliative care and psychology. Furthermore, he is a music therapist and vocalist of Indian classical music, and he has successfully conducted clinical research in the field of Ayurveda and music therapy, ranging from topics like insomnia, stress, depression, dementia, cancer, and pregnancy care. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Shubham Kulkarni. 
Hello, Dr. Shubham. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Paula. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me for your podcast. I'm so happy and excited about this podcast. Yeah, thank you for bearing with me. We've had some tech issues today. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to have to look more deeply at the astrology when we get off here. But I was so excited, you know, when we met in India in November, you know, I got to experience you from a musical perspective. And you're also an Ayurvedic doctor. So it's it's cool that you happen to bring these two things together. But I really wanted to talk to you because I think it's inspiring how you have these two passions and you've found a way to have them inform and, and work together. So maybe we can just like back up and get your story a little bit. Like, how did you get into music? What made you decide to start studying Ayurveda? Yeah, so actually, um, I started learning music from uh, my childhood. Like, I was at that time, like, in my first standard or something like that. I was actually five or six years old when I started going to a music class, a typical music class. So, uh, there I started learning the music. Uh, but before that, uh, I should mention that dad has that kind of a musical ears. That's what um, we can call. So um, uh, he used to sing classical music and he used to listen a lot to classical music at home. So that's what the key point was. That's what I think. So uh, from the childhood, I was listening to many more legendaries and stalwarts of the musical field, especially classical musical. Maestros. So uh, that's what triggered, that's what I think, to my musical journey. And uh, yeah, I started uh, learning uh, step by step the musical notes, the ragas, and all those things. So yeah, I started that from the age of five or six. And yeah, still I'm a student of music and uh, learning music uh, from my guru. Mestro Pandit Shonak Abhishekiji in Pune, India. And about the Ayurveda thing, yeah, after my 12th grades, I was not actually very keen towards Ayurveda, I must say. I was more into music, I was more into arts. Um, I used to like more uh, the films and the television and all those things. But yeah, I wanted to become a doctor also at that time, same, like profession-wise, a career-wise, one should be like, like I wanted to be a doctor or something like that. And then um, from like fifth grade, I was studying Sanskrit in my school. And that uh, gave me that kind of uh, support energy or something, uh, which led me to study the Ayurveda. Uh, after my 12th grade and yes from the first year of my Ayurvedic studies I was more interested towards the deeper aspect of Ayurveda and uh, some aspects of Ayurveda which are not known to the common people Uh, likewise right now I'm working in the field of mental health through Ayurveda palliative, palliative care through Ayurveda Music therapy through Ayurveda. So these are what much known topics uh, from Ayurveda. Everybody knows about like uh, arthritis uh, and Ayurveda, uh, digestion and Ayurveda, or uh, dietary and Ayurveda, lifestyle and Ayurveda. Everybody knows about these things, but I always wanted to study more in detail about these concepts like mental health, palliative care, death and Ayurveda, death and dying through 
yeah death and dying through ayurveda and yes of course music through ayurveda what are the spiritual angle of ayurveda that's what i'm studying right now also as a student of ayurveda that's how i connected this gandharva veda which is the veda of music the knowledge of music which is also a upaveda that is applied knowledge of veda is upaveda so gandharva veda is actually upaveda of samaveda and ayurveda as we all know is a upaveda of rigveda that's how i'm studying both the applied knowledges or the upavedas ayurveda and the gandharva veda so for those of you who follow me on instagram and you saw some of the videos that i posted of dr kokarni talk, uh, singing and teaching at this event that i was at called the healing sounds retreat you'll know that he's being very humble right now he's actually a very accomplished raga singer and also an ayurvedic doctor so he's saying he's a student of these things but we're talking to somebody who's really digested the stuff even at a young age you know so maybe you can talk to us about your teacher specifically this guru uh lineage that you're in for music and talk about like what was that process of formation what was that process of learning like for you yeah you know um, we talked about lot about vidya and kala dr claudia ji also kala is actually a art form vidya is actually a, a, a theoretical uh, part of that art i will i will say for every kala you should know the vidya and for all, both these things like for vidya and kala it's compulsory to have a guru to learn those vidya or to learn those kala and you know the, among the 64 kalas or among the 64 arts the first art explained is gayana or geet or singing the first art form is the singing one so yeah the role of guru is much much important in both these vidya and kala so i'll say that ayurveda is the vidya and the music learning music or learning music is a kala you are learning a kala so for both of these things you need a, a guru who is with you to support you to give you that path or to guide you to walk on that path the guru will only show you the path he will not come with you on that path he will just show you the path you will have to run you will have to walk whatever you want to do on that path so yeah from the, my childhood like i i told you that from childhood i was learning the indian classical music from that time i used to study the music the theoretical music also and the practical app- application of that theory of music so from that time i have been with my guru doing my riyaz riyaz is actually a practice of that music and uh, still now i'm doing that and i think that guru shishya parampara is very much important to learn ayurveda also and to learn the music also so guru shishya parampara which is the the guru shishya relationship that kind of develops over time right exactly exactly it's the trust of the guru towards the disciple and it's the trust of the disciple towards the guru that's what i do trust is you know when you read bhagavad gita it's also a guru shishya parampara where the guru is lord krishna 
and the disciple is Arjuna. And there is a trust between both of them. And that trust is actually a bhakti yoga. When you see uh, the Bhagavad Gita uh, from the mental health perspective, uh, you know, it's so interesting. (laughs) Whenever you see uh, from that perspective, uh, you will highlight those kinds of points from any book. Any book. I'm talking right now about Bhagavad Gita, but whenever you want to see any kind of a book from your perspective, so it will highlight those kinds of points to you. And there is the Guru Shishya Parampara also from Bhagavad Gita. And that's how it is important. And trust is very important. That's what I think. That is the Bhakti Yoga Mm. between Guru and Shishya. One thing that you and I talked about is that there's there's like a difference, you know, between in the West and in India, when you're in this Guru Shishya Parampara in India, you really are thoughtfully going through these processes of Brahmacharya, where you're actually trying to ascertain what your Dharma is. And we really skip over that a lot in our in our world. It's like, you're already talking about Arta, you're talking about how you're going to make a living. Like when you're a child, it's very common in the West to have your parents or your school teacher or somebody say, what are you going to be when you grow up? So it's beyond it's where like, we're talking about work and how you're going to contribute to society before you do the work of knowing what am I here to do? So can you talk a little bit about your experience of Like you said, you were in your household, your father was listening to music, you felt called by that. But this process of kind of understanding what you're here to do as the foundation before you then jump into career. That's what I think. We discussed a lot about this also, like the foundation or the process to start to any kind of kala or vidya or any kind of a study It should be by the guidance of your parents. That's what I think. It should be by the guidance of your parents. Because I think your father and mother are the first guru of yours. They will show the first path to the right guru. And the guru will do the next work of his, like to show the another path of your dharma or to show the another path of your responsibilities, career or something. So first guru, I think, is your mother and father who shows you that path to go to this kind of career or to go to this kind of a guru. So my foundation was very strong in that manner. My mother and father both used to not force me. They used to just teach me why you have to go to your guru regularly. You know, in summer holidays, all my friends were used to go to the grounds for cricket in the morning. And I used to go to the guru's house for riyas, for practice of my music. So it was a bit disturbing for me at that time also. You know, being a kid, my friends are going to the ground for cricket and football. I'm into my guru's house alone doing the practice on the Tanpura. A musical instrument, you know, and doing a practice for two hours, three hours, four hours. Angry on my parents. I don't want to go and all those things because I, it's a bit natural. That's what I think. Being a kid, uh, spending lots of time with the guru. Uh, but that's the point. That's the strong. That's the importance of this strong foundation. You know, uh, they never used to force me. 
but they will teach me and they will certainly tell me how it is important why it is important and gradually gradually when i came matured uh, i came to know that no 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 this is my path this is my dharma where i have to work for whole life so i should do this i'm not a cricketer i'm not going to be a cricketer because i'm not good in that and my brother and father knows very well to me so they have pushed me to the music to the musical guru and i should do that so that's kind of a maturity uh, when you get that that's what i think then and then you will follow the path which your guru is telling to you or he is suggesting to you i think that's really beautiful and for those of us who maybe our parents didn't have their own ability to kind of discern on our behalf i would encourage people to think about like what did you get like what were the things like for me my dad was an entrepreneur and he would actually talk to me when i was young about business and he taught me a lot of things about business and i was really interested as a kid so it was only natural that i was going to start my own business right so that could be like an indication so you could you could say like almost the universe was working through him to start to get me to think about those things so even if he didn't have a practice and he's an atheist he doesn't understand the context of why you know why this all matters the dharma and all of that like he was acting as a karmic channel for me to understand what my role was right so you can think about this in context like how could that work for you you know like my mom is just a really kind person so she taught me to be a kind person and that is also part of my dharma is like how can i help others how can i do what needs to be done in this situation and and move things forward so there's like these threads even though my parents weren't really steeped in a tradition they didn't necessarily like identify what are your strengths for me and push me towards those strengths i really had to make those decisions on my own but like if somebody's listening and you didn't have the benefit of this and you know a lot of us don't have a guru too so like we have our own guru and we have to have like teachers of different things and and follow our intuition about what those things are Ah, uh, you know the concept of guru is uh, different for everybody. For some uh, some people, your mother and father can be a guru for whole life if they are into same field or if they are into same path. For someone, uh, for their whole life, the books are their gurus. When you read lots of spiritual books, lots of another books, so books can be a good guru. They can be a good teacher. So for everyone, the concept of guru is actually different. i am very fortunate to have a guru and that guru shishya parampara from my childhood you know so i think it's a discipline every time the guru will not teach you the musical thing every time my ayurveda guru will not teach me the ayurveda thing only but the discipline to be in that what you can say that vidya or that kala is very important and when you are full of the discipline when you are good with the discipline you can be a good vaidya or a doctor or you can be a good uh, musician then and then you will be a good musician or a good good doctor that's what i think so guru shishya parampara is not just about the teaching thing it's more about the discipline right when you were talking about trust earlier how do you cultivate that trust and like what would you say to somebody whose guru is not in the form like they don't have a a person in the body but like they're trying to develop a trust in what they're relating to 
So how do you develop that trust? And does discipline play a role? Like, do you have to just be disciplined in a certain way and the trust comes, you know, like, what would you say? Yeah, exactly. Trust is the thing. Trust is the word which comes by maturity. That's what I think. For those who don't have the guru in person, likewise, I I told you that for someone, their mother and father are guru for them or for some people, the books are guru for them. Or the people like me who have in-person guru, uh, a musical guru, uh, Ayurveda guru in my life. So the concept of trust, it's same for all of these people. The trust is thing in this Guru Shishya Parampara, you are working on that trust. And that trust comes with the discipline only. He told it so clearly that, that trust will come definitely with that discipline. So the foundation should be strong of the discipline also. Then and then the trust will grow up for the gurus, for the mother, father, for other peoples also. The trust thing is very important in Guru Shishya Parampara. It's really fascinating because as you're sharing that, you know, I'm thinking about how I go to the gym twice a week. I just that process, I start to see small results. And I start to believe that a bigger result is possible, right? And so through that discipline, I'm now trusting the process, right, of going to the gym. Or the same could be said for changing a dietary regime or any other lifestyle thing or your yoga practice or your sadhana, right? Like your spiritual practice. If you start to see changes happening in your life that are in a positive direction, that can develop the trust. But the discipline came first of doing the practice. Discipline will come first and then and then the trust will develop towards the guru and which is very important. That's what I think. Yeah. And so it's amazing that you had parents that had you, you know, commit to that consistency, even if you couldn't do it yourself. I mean, as you were talking, I was like, they they played the role of Saturn because this is all the energy of planet Saturn, which is just like, you just have to keep your head down and do the thing. That doesn't mean push. It doesn't mean do it in a way that feels harmful to your body. So many people listening are, they have their own business. And so I want to, you know, make clear that this is not us like pushing, but it's about being consistent and having a rhythm. Wouldn't you say? Exactly. Exactly. It's not pushing. It's not the force, but it's the culture. That's what I think. It was a culture in my house. It was a culture in my society to grow your child like that. You should uh, show the right path to your child from the childhood. That's what I think and did did their job very well. That's what I think my parents and that's why I'm here right now. That's what I tell everybody that uh, your mother and father are the first guru for you. Then the, your guru who will teach you the vidya or kala and all those things. I think it's interesting too, because even if your parents were disappointing to you in some way, like if they didn't do what you needed, right? They still taught you through that learning that you had, you know, you still have an experience that maybe is going to be helpful to others later or, you know, so not all of us have that ideal situation that you have, Dr. Kulkarni, but sometimes that is also the learning, right? So I want to I want to get more into your work because I'm really interested in this. Like maybe you can talk about what a raga is and then like how that is viewed as medicine when we talk about the vidya and the kala. Yeah. 
word raga is very interesting from the sanskrit perspective the word raga means to color so how beautifully they have explained the word the raga is to color in ayurveda the raga word is actually in the context of anger or oh, i've heard so inflammation why, too is it also inflammation sorry. like inflammation exactly the redness mm-hmm. kind of a thing in the first verse of the ashtangrudayam also the vagbhata has explained raga adi rogan so raga adi rogan so raga means the anger adi means etc and rogan is diseases anger etc diseases and he explained like blah 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 so the first verse is actually a prayer towards the god that please help me to lessen the pain of the people who are in the diseases so which diseases anger etc etc so he has mentioned a disease first as a rag so you know ayurveda has given importance to the mental health more over than the physical health that's what i think you know in every diseases in every treatment of the diseases they have clearly mentioned about how mental health is important to tackle these kinds of diseases whether they are physical whether they are mental or something like that so health is very important uh, that's what ayurvedic treatises have told us about and uh, you know the mental diseases when we uh, listen from the modern perspective like schizophrenia or anxiety or depression or stress uh, other than that the beauty of ayurveda is they have not just explained these diseases but they have clearly told us about that these mental emotions like the anger the grief and the sadness and the moha shoka bhaya these all mental emotions are also when get triggered they are also known as mental disorders so the anger is actually a mental disorder when get aggravated it's a mental disorder by ayurveda the word raga from ayurveda is different and the word draga in music they have quoted it as ranjayate anena iti ragah which entertains your mind is the rag totally different meaning of rag is explained in music than the ayurveda i know it's sort of like not as beautiful to describe it as a song but essentially a raga can also be a piece of music like for those who are really new to all of this it's like one piece of music or like a movement if you're looking at it from exactly. like the classical perspective you know there are seven notes like sarigama padhani sanidapa magarisa so these are seven notes so the combination and permutations of these notes is known as ragas so there are there are whole number of combination and permutations of these notes i have explained in detail in healing sound program Uh, in india you know so there are sharp notes there are some komala and tibrasvara which i explained and that's how the combination and permutations of these notes these 12 notes i'll rather say is the raga and it's that beauty of that raga is every raga has its own rasa that is emotion so it evokes the emotion and that's how it works on our mind from modern perspective also when you hear to a music it goes into your auditory cortex and it will work or it will process in your limbic system of your brain 
and the limbic system of your brain is actually a center of all emotions sensations and feelings that's how the music works when he, you hear to a sad kind of a song it will give you a sadness a karuna rasa when you hear a shanta rasa music that is a peaceful music it will give you a peace that's how the harmony that's how the music that's how the raga helps you to deal with your emotions so the one, one word raga from ayurveda is actually a disease and the another word from the music raga is actually a remedy of that disease right well it's like how ganesh used to you know ganesh used to be the creator of obstacles and now he's the remover of obstacles but he's essentially yeah. the same thing right exactly so a raga can be a disease of a raga can be a disease also and a raga can be a remedy of your that disease also this is so fascinating there's so many places to go but i want to talk about like some of the specific research that you've done like i was thinking as you were talking just now you know there's so many inputs that we're taking in we're listening to all different kinds of music that could be having different impacts on us but what if we could actually say this specific raga will help with depression so when you're feeling depressed you can listen to this raga and it's going to be like you know taking a pill except not but you know what i mean it's going to help you change the state that you're in So you've actually done research about this. You've actually like written papers about it. So can you talk about that? I've done a lot of research in the field of uh, music as a therapy. So therapeutic use of a uh, music is actually a music therapy. So uh, I'll clearly mention the three words here. So one is the sound therapy, another one is the music therapy, and third word is the raga therapy. These three words are different. So nad chikitsa nad means sound so any kind of a sound like a bowl many musicians use the bowl for the sound treatment or the sound therapy so it's into the sound therapy a raga chikitsa or a raga therapy is only using a raga for a specific disease is a raga therapy and a music therapy it includes all kind of a singing dancing composing the music actively participation of the patient into the music therapy session so the patient will also sing with us he will also play the drum he will also play the guitar with the therapist this is the music therapy so these three words are different so i have used a raga therapy as a music therapy you understand so i have used a specific raga for specific diseases but i will not clearly recommend the ragas for everybody you know because whatever i have researched it's based on a clear diagnosis a clear assessment of the patient and then and then i'll recommend that raga to yes so i have done like for insomnia i did a research um, on darbari kanada rag which i used for the insomnia people and i got a tremendous good results from that but i will not recommend the raga to everybody like who is insomnic because i have assist that patient what's the case of insomnia what's the stage of insomnia is right now and then and then i can prescribe the raga so along with your medications it will goes well that's what i think insomnia is not that much severe and you are not on any kind of medications then definitely this kind of darbari kanada will help you 
for your insomnia. Because the diseases, the symptoms which we are treating by the music are not the simple symptoms. They are insomnia, they are depression, they are psychological, neurological disorders. It's important to tell to everybody, I actually tell to everybody, like, don't trust on these kinds of WhatsApp university or the WhatsApp messages. <laughs> it's a WhatsApp university, you know. So they'll just say that use this raga for this disease, use this raga for this disease. It's not actually true and it's not actually research based. You have to, being a doctor and being a musician, I'm clearly stating this that you have to take the assessment of your patient first. You have to diagnose the patient. So what kind of a depression is he in right now? So what is the depression? You should know. So what is the stage of the patient's depression? It's a mild depression, it's a moderate or it's a severe depression. Because depression can be a severe also, like many patients commit suicide and all those things because of the depression. So it's a, it's a dangerous disease. So you should not take it lightly that, yeah, yeah, you hear these kinds of music or you hear these kinds of raga and you will get rid of those depression kind of thing. It's a bit risky. First to assist the patient, then along with medications or without medications, you may decide as a clinician or as a practitioner. But you have to do that. So I have used the music therapy for like pregnancy care, depression, dementia, Alzheimer's, insomnia, and in palliative care also, like in end of life of the stage, in that patient, in those kinds of patients, like cancer and dementia, Alzheimer's, and all those patients, I'm using the music therapy, the raga therapy. What have you seen, like with palliative care, like how has it impacted people's uh, quality of life? Exactly. So in palliative care, you know, uh, they're into their end of life stage you know some people uh, they are aged and into their end of life stage you know so the emotion is very much important factor in the palliative state that's what i think so it's not a palliative medicine i'm doing it's a palliative care i'm doing so i'm using a music for a care i'm using a music in insomnia people in depression people as a cure but in the last stage I'm using it as a for care. So you can use it for like cure also and care also. There is nothing curable in the end of life stage of these palliative patients, you know. So the emotion is very much important factor. And as you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who has written a book on uh, death and dying, uh, where she has stated the five stages of grief, you know, at the end of the life stage. Uh, like denial, the aggression, the bargaining, the depression, and the acceptance. So these are the five stages of grief. And in these five stages, I think music is the best medium than any other medications for these kinds of palliative patients. Like to help them move through those stages, you're saying, in a better way? Exactly. Mm. To help them with their emotion, music will help them in a right way. That's what I think. And that's what I'm experiencing right now. Mm, I love that. So, you know, just on what we've talked about, what would you say to someone who feels like they should do something? They really want to do something. Their heart is telling them to do something, 
but then they feel this practical part of themselves thinks they should do something else. Like, what would you advise them? You know, you should know your dharma for sure. Being a mature person, you should know your dharma. Dharma is actually a responsibility, your own responsibility. Yeah, I, I, I just remembered, uh, you know, Paula, uh, when you, I, I, I read the Bhagavad Gita very frequently and uh, from the perspective of health perspective, from the musical perspective, I read the Bhagavad Gita. The first word of Bhagavad Gita, when it starts, it's a dharma. Dharma kshetre kurukshetre. So dharma is the first word of the Bhagavad Gita. And you know, interestingly, uh, I found that the last word of the Bhagavad Gita, the 701th shlok, is mama. So when you connect this mama dharma, is my duties, my responsibilities, my activities. So Bhagavad Gita is telling you all about your duties, all about your activities, all about your responsibilities. So those who are listening right now to us and those who are not on the path which they wanted to be, I think they should trust their themselves first. So you can be your own guru and you can trust yourself and then and then you can think about your path and then you can walk on your path. This is a small advice I can give them. Like you should know your dharma that is responsibility and you should walk on that path only and just be focused. Yeah. Your dharma is complicated, right? It's not one thing. It's like a heap of things, you know? <laughs> Like if someone not, asked me what my dharma was, I, no. I wouldn't be able to just encapsulate it in one thing. So, and you're an example of that too. You wouldn't, your dharma is not just Ayurveda. It's not just music. It's not just whatever else that you do. You know, it's all of those things together. I'm very fortunate that it's 12 o'clock. The dharma which I'm working, uh, the dharma in which I'm working right now is very interconnected to each other. The Ayurveda, the music, and the mental health, palliative care, they both are interconnected. The Gandharva Veda and Ayurveda, again, they are connected. So it's all connected. I'm very fortunate. Yeah, the work I'm doing right now is very interconnected. So I got lots of reference of music in Ayurveda. I got lots of reference of Ayurveda in music. And I got the reference of mental health in palliative care and some palliative references in mental health. Thanks. <laughs> so it's interesting, you know. <laughs> I have your chart here. You so kindly gave me your info. And when I met you, I was like, oh, you you have a strong Jupiter, don't you? <laughs> and you said, yes, in fact, you have Jupiter in the first house. Um, and you're ruled by Mars with a Scorpio rising. And Mars is in the 10th. So this like desire to help people heal. Mars is very much a powerful planet around that. Um, but also like you're having a creative approach. And even like working with foreigners sometimes in foreign languages, like all of that's in the chart as well. Jupiter rules your second and it's gone to your first. The second is the throat and the voice and the traditions. So you're really like holding those traditions and even building community around those traditions and helping to disseminate those traditions through your work and through the way you communicate. So it's, it's just really cool to see all of that in your chart. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're familiar. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting, because also you're in your Rahu period. So people should know, like, 
you can be grounded and calm in Rahu. Here's an example. We have Dr. Kulkarni here. So, you know, Rahu is innovative. It allows you to think outside the box and to to do innovative work. One thing that's true about the people in my network is a lot of them are a little bit beyond what people can see yet. The work they're doing is very like cutting edge. It's very like innovative. You have that signature in your chart as well. And I'm wondering if there's anything you could say to people who are doing that kind of work, who maybe feel like people don't get this or are they going to get this? You know, they're kind of worried. The, the world won't catch up with their innovation. One should not think about uh, the final product of your work or your innovation or your study or your practice. That's what I think. You should do your work, trusting in your work. You should have a faith in your work. And consistency is very important in your work. It's not like in every work, in every vidya, in every kala, or in every business, consistency is very important. You are into business and all those things. You also know that. The consistency is very important in all these kinds of practices. I think for those who are into this path, uh, running towards something or running towards uh, some goal, uh, I'll suggest them, that, uh, suggest them that be consistent and be patient and uh, have trust in yourself and everything will be good. Yes. And as you're consistent, as you have that discipline, the trust will continue to strengthen, right? So the me of five years ago would never have envisioned where I am now in my business. I had to just trust each step and also know that I didn't know what it was going to look like at the end. I still don't. I'm still in process, right? But each day, it's like a little piece of the puzzle reveals itself. So (laughs) I appreciate that advice. That's great. So I have a few rapid fire questions for you if you're open. Yeah. So the first one is, what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? Be disciplined in your every work. (laughs) (laughs) Is that from your guru? Yeah, it's from my guru. Very nice. Yeah. Just goes in line with what we've already been talking about. It's very much what we've already been talking about. So there you go. Do you have a morning routine? And if so, what part is non-negotiable like that you have to do? Uh, Yeah, I do a dhyana meditation every day. Uh, that I do for like 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, it's non-negotiable for me. And a music. Listening to a music or a singing to a music. Uh, sometimes I, I, I do my sadhana or I do my practice in the evening time. But yes, for for sure, I listen to some kind of a raga or some kind of a music every day in the morning for just like 15, 20 minutes or something, uh, like half an hour. But I listen to that. So it's my routine. Mm-hmm. Are you singing every day? I know you like you're working, but is that part of your routine too? Is oh, to sing? I do my riyas every day. Yeah, yeah. Though I'm working uh, like a practitioner or a consultant, I do my riyas every day. So someday it will be like for a half hour. Someday it will be like for a two hours. But I do my riyas every day. Riyas? Is that a scale? Can you just say what yeah. it is? Yeah, yeah. It's with the scale, like uh, repetitions of these notes. Alankar, what we did in the program, and it's with the ragas, and it's with the music also, like some songs and all. Listening to a music is also a riyaz. That's what I think. 
you should listen more and more to these mestros, to these stalwarts. And I listen to more to my guru also. So uh, it's also a riyaz. That's what I think. Listening to your guru, listening to the stalwarts is very important. And it's the step to learn the music. Beautiful. So is there a book that you would recommend on any of the topics that we've talked about today? Is there a book that you love or that you would recommend people read? I will recommend everybody to read Bhagavad Gita once in their <laughs> life uh, from their own perspective. And yes, I'll recommend the book uh, called Death and Dying of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who are interested in this uh, grief topic and palliative topic. Yes, uh, these two books I'll recommend to everybody that one should read these books. Wonderful. So where can people find you online or find out more about your work? You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, and my website will be ready in like a month. So it will be drshubhamkulkarni.com. So you can okay. find my work. You can join my courses also, uh, like from Wonderful. the website. We'll put all those links in the show notes. So if people are listening, you'll be able to go down and just click and go find Dr. Kolkarni and his work. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really lovely connecting with you here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paula. It was very fantastic and it was very exciting podcast with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hope to see you soon in India. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review for us so other spirit-led entrepreneurs can find out about us. I want to thank Team Podcast for production support on this podcast, as well as the musicians of the music that we're listening to now, Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma, from an album Fragments of a Season, which you can check out wherever you listen to music. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you on a future episode. Mm-hmm.